I'm a recovering legalist. I don't think there's a person that I'd be safe to say who has not struggled with this. Do you get angry or envious of others who get grace? Do you feel like God is never happy with you? You might be a legalist. This is Living a Legacy with Bible teacher Crawford Lorenz. Well, how about you? Have you struggled with legalism in your Christian walk? Many of us come from church backgrounds where projecting biblical standards on ourselves and others was common, where performance was the motivation of our daily Christian living. Well, the questions Crawford just asked are two of five we'll need to examine in today's message titled, Our Freedom. Hope you can stay with us. Crawford is leading us through a series based on the New Testament book of Colossians, and his messages so far have looked at what matters most, our incomparable Christ, and all for his cause. Now, if you're new to our Living a Legacy broadcast, a big welcome and a bit of background. Crawford has dedicated over 50 years of his life to Christian ministry. He served for many years with Campus Crusade for Christ. He recently retired as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. Crawford now heads the Christian leadership mentoring ministry known as Beyond Our Generation. His books include Leadership as an Identity, Lessons from a Life Coach, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. If you'd like to get caught up on the messages so far in this series, they're available to stream or download from our website, and I'll have more about that at the close of our program. Well, let's see if we can get a handle on this thing called legalism. Our text is Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Colossians chapter 2. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Now, I have to tell you up front here that um, I had trouble a little bit about how to approach this passage because there's some technical stuff that Paul might, is referring to, and I'm going to refer a little bit to that. And when you preach and speak, you, you don't always want to come across negative when you come to a text of Scripture. Now, hear me on this. But as, from an integrity perspective as a preacher, your presentation of a passage has to match the author's original intention. So you can't make positive something that is negative. That would be disingenuous. It lacks integrity. And so uh, I'm going to preach the text, I believe, in the tone that the Apostle Paul intended it. He's giving a warning here in these verses. He's giving a warning here. And it's a very significant and important warning that he's giving to us. The other thing is that I could get into the whole issue of Gnosticism here because he is referring to that. I'm going to refer somewhat to that, but I choose to deal a little bit with the applicational side of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Now he is, he is in no uncertain terms blasting, and I use that intentionally, he is in no uncertain terms blasting legalism. And if you read his epistles, you understand that Paul championed grace and he was, he was a foe, and I would say even a fighting foe, particularly if you read the book of Galatians. He's a passionate fighting foe against all forms of legalism. Now, too many of us as Christians live in fear and bondage. There's a lot of us. I struggled with legalism earlier on in my walk with the Lord. 
We, we read these commands and, and uh, we're performance oriented, but we have a tendency, we have a tendency to adopt a brand of Christianity that really is motivated by more fear than it is freedom. In fact, if we're not careful, we don't mean to do this, we don't mean to do this, but we raise our children from a fear-based perspective. Rather than talking about the positive things that God has in store for them and the freedoms that they have in Christ and the joy that should be there, as parents, we don't want them to be some murderer, we don't want them to be promiscuous, we don't want them to be liars. And so we, we, we unwittingly, we don't mean to, but it's always don't, 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 do, 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 don't, don't, do, do, don't, don't, do, do. And before you know that, it, Jesus is layered in regulations. And this is behind what Paul is saying in this passage. Now, let me give you a definition of legalism. Now, you know, legalism is a little more difficult to define than you might think. Because legalism is, is, is lodged in a motivation. For example, grace, it does not mean permission. There are some people that preach, uh, who, who are opposed to legalism, and they preach grace, but they preach a form of grace that is license. Grace is not license. Grace does not mean that we are free to do whatever we feel like doing because all of our sins, past, present, and future have been forgiven. Paul said that. He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, you don't do that. Grace doesn't mean per permission. And herein lies the problem. It's hard to get our hearts and minds around this whole idea of a definition of legalism because legalism deals with not exactly what you do, but it deals with why you do it. Just because somebody has a lot of standards and this kind of thing does not necessarily mean that they're legalistic, so don't judge them with that, those of us who are more grace-oriented. But legalism deals with reason. Grace deals with reason. They deal with motivation. And that's the reason why it's a little, little hard to come up with a, with a, a, a buttoned-down, tied-down, universal definition of legalism. But here's my feeble attempt. Legalism basically says we can earn or keep God's favor by what we do. I would say if you push me in a corner and say, Crawford, give me a definition, I would say, I would say, well, it has to do with thinking that through my own effort, I can earn and keep God's favor. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. And I promise you I'm going to get to the text, but I need to set this up a little bit. I need to paint a little bit of a picture as to why, why is legalism so dangerous? I mean, what's the big deal? Uh, I, I thought of five reasons. There's probably 25 others, but here's some five, five biggies. Number one, legalism is dangerous because it focuses on externals. It projects what you see is the reality. Now, what you see should be the reality. But legalism focuses on the externals. Secondly, legalism is dangerous because it isolates Christians from the world. You all have heard me say this a ton of times. Do not raise your kids to be afraid of the world and unbelievers. If you do, you are producing a legalist. You cannot impact that which you don't come in contact with. And all brands of legalism has this little, this little aura, this little aura of self-protection, this little aura of us and them. 
Treating unbelievers as if they're enemies? That's an insidious form of legalism. It keeps us isolated from, from the world. Thirdly, legalism focuses on image, not heart. I alluded to that earlier. It focuses on image and not heart. It doesn't allow people to see transparently into your heart and into your life. Legalism, legalists always have something to hide. Legalists are always afraid of the truth about themselves. And so, at its very core, it's disingenuous. And that's, that makes it dangerous. Um, fourthly, legalism ignores grace and love. To them, grace and love is spelled approval. To a legalist, grace and love is spelled approval. They cannot fathom that Almighty God loves and accepts them and pours out on his favor on them just because of chesed, his loving kindness. And then finally, legalism is dangerous because it's toxic. It's toxic, what do you mean by that? It contaminates others, it just sort of multiplies itself. It has a way of recruiting others to this rules and regulation perspective. Again, I promise you get to the text, so, uh, but I, I need to press into this. The question is, how do I know if I'm a legalist? I don't think there's a person, I'd be safe to say, who has not struggled with this. I'm a recovering legalist. But I, I think, I think there, there are at least, again, I, I come with the number five, at least five questions to ask yourself. The first question is this. Do you get angry or envious of others who get grace? You find a little knee-jerk reaction to them and trying to defend your rules and regulations because they have freedoms that you don't have. They can do things that you don't feel like you can do. Because they get it and you don't get it, and somehow you gotta prove that you're better. The second question is, are you constantly evaluating whether you're being treated fairly? You see, at the core of legalism is self-righteousness. Are you always evaluating whether or not you're being treated fairly? A third question that we need to ask is that, um, do you often compare yourself with others? Do you compete with other Christians? Do you want their, inordinately want their approval and validation concerning your choices and decisions? You might be a legalist. Then fourthly, are you a joy-filled person? Is there, is there a sense of just satisfaction in who your Savior is in your life? Are you marked by joy? Are you constantly just grinding it out, feeling like you gotta prove something? And the fifth question is this. Do you feel like God is never happy with you? That somehow or another, he's mad at you. Somehow or another, I did this. Oh, he's going to get me. Better not do that again. You see why it's so difficult to, to define legalism? You see why? Because, because it's a motivational thing. 
It's a heart matter. It's why do I respond to God? Do I respond to him as judge? I don't want to take him off. I don't want to make him mad. I don't want to make him angry. Or do I respond because he's my loving heavenly father who will empower me and help me and give me all that I need? Now, it's with this backdrop that I want us to step into the text here. I promise you, I'm not going to be all day, but uh, step into the passage here because these questions and these thoughts, I don't want to superimpose them on Paul's thinking, but if you read his epistles, these questions and these thoughts, he answers them. And so the two big things that Paul is saying in these verses, Colossians chapter 16 Uh, Chapter 2, verse 16 through verse 23, these two brief paragraphs, and I'll say it the way in which he presents it in a negative way, they're warnings. Number one, he says, don't submit to someone else's standard. And then secondly, he says, don't give life to that which does not endure. Don't submit to somebody else's standard. And don't give life to that which doesn't endure. You know, grace supports a ruthless independence. I know that's counterintuitive. Yes, we're members of the body of Christ. We live in community with one another. I get it. We're all that. But, but grace, grace, grace refuses to let other people to define Christianity for you. Grace refuses to allow other people to define Christianity for you. It refuses that. Because there's only one standard that we're all submitted to. And it ain't necessarily yours, and it ain't necessarily mine. So the very first thing Paul says in verses uh, 16 through 19 is that don't submit to someone else's standard. He says in verses 16 and 17, underneath that banner, reject their judgment. Therefore, he says, again, let no one, let no one. I have to pause there because he's going to use that same expression in verse 18, let no one. See, let me tell you something here. Don't ever, ever give your will over to anybody. Don't you ever give your will over to anyone. Paul says, look, 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 I know these people are attractive, and I know they come across with this great-sounding stuff. They're, They're very philosophical, intellectual, and they're stringing together these theological constructs that sound very wonderful and great, and you never heard some of this stuff before. But he says, hey, 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 careful, 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 careful. Don't, don't give your will over to that. And we have to teach our children that. Don't let others control your will. So Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We get a little granular here for a second. He's saying that we're not, we're not compelled to conform to any rule. You're not compelled to conform to any rule. Unless it's written in this book here, you're not compelled to conform to it. You're free. Now, the Spirit of God will give us all personal convictions about some things. And so, it it calls for maturity and liberty and freedom in all of these things. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Some of you have a conviction. You can't go to even a PG movie. 
You just feel like you shouldn't do that. That's fine, that's fine. You do what the Spirit of God is leading you to do. But be careful, don't, don't jump over the, over, the, over the line and hold that conviction up as an objective standard that any believer who sits in something like that, I can't see how they can do that. They're all gonna go to hell because I can't do it, you can't do that. Well, you're not the fourth member of the Trinity, are you? You didn't write the 67th book of the Bible, did you? And this is the spirit of Paul. Paul's being a little bit hostile here. He says, stop it. No one should judge you for what you eat or drink, he says. We're delivered from the bondage to rules about food and festivals. Corollary passage is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. You're free. You're free. The Spirit of God yanks her and says, Crawford, don't do that now. There are seasons in our lives as as parents where there are certain liberties and freedoms that we had, but because of where our kids were in this season of life, felt like, eh, we probably shouldn't model that in front of them right now because they can't handle that. So you back away from it. But you're free. You're free. Let the Spirit of God and the objective statements of the Word of God guide you, but you are free. Now, he talks about the Sabbath here, and I, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but there were some uh, commentators are a little bit confused about Colossians as to how much the Judaizers and this whole idea of Gnosticism uh, affected them. Uh, I would say there was a combination of both. What you had with these, these, these followers of Christ who also wanted to hold up the law, and they wanted to tell these Colossians, hey, look, 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 you got to worship on Saturday because that's part of the Ten Commandments, and, you know, the Sabbath day of worship is, is the sixth day of the week, and all of this kind of thing. When Paul says here in this text, he says, no, 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 we're not required to worship on the Sabbath. By the way, little parentheses here, just two things to consider. I wouldn't follow my sword about this. There are a number of believers, I believe, they're followers of Christ. They're not a cult. They, they worship on Saturday rather than Sunday. Um, but I would suggest there, there are two big reasons why we're not held bound to worshiping on Saturday. Number one, number one, the command of keeping the Sabbath is the only one of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated in the New Testament. It's the only one that is not repeated in the New Testament. Then secondly, it's not only is it not repeated in the New Testament, number two, it is the habit and modeling of the early Christians. Because when Jesus rose again from, uh, from the dead on the first day of the week on Sunday, that's when they began to worship. And Paul is saying, hey, 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 come on, Claude, you don't have to listen to that. You have to listen to that. People tell you what you ought to do, just go, okay, thank you very much, and there's the door. You... Don't, don't let them tell you how to think. He says in verse 17, we are compelled to conform to Christ. That's what we're compelled to conform to, not to rules and regulations. Christianity is about a relationship. It's about a, it's about a person. It is about Jesus. And the moment your rules and regulations begin to obscure the person and value of Jesus, you're in trouble. He says here again in verse 17, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
That's the summation of the Old Testament law. Yeah, yeah, those things, the ceremonial law, uh, where to go, what to eat, what to do, and all that kind of stuff. Yes, you'll find that in the Old Testament. That's a ceremonial law. But don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. The point of all of that was to show that in and of yourself, you're inadequate. You can't keep these things. It was a shadow of a promise. Shadow of a promise. And these rules and regulations were shadows of things to come. A shadow is only an image cast by an object which represents its form. Or to say it more clearly, maybe, my shadow is not me, it is an image of me. And all of these things pointed toward Jesus, but they were not life-giving. You you hear this, they they were not life-giving. Rules and regulations are not life-giving. There's nothing transformative about trying to keep rules and regulations. The purpose of rules and regulations is to point you to the one who liberates us, who sets us free. They weren't the substance. They belong to Christ. That's where the substance is. What the Old Testament foreshadowed Christ fulfilled. That is, that is the purpose of Matthew 5, 17. Jesus didn't come to abandon the law. Be very careful, be very careful about saying things like the Old Testament is not relevant for us today. Uh, you know, watch, watch going to the brink on that. Jesus didn't come to abandon the law. He came to fulfill the law. Fulfill the law. So the focus is not on process, the focus is on a person. Did you hear what I just said? The focus is not on a process, the focus is on a person. It's on the person of Christ. It's not on performance, not on a process, not on going to the temple on the Day of Atonement with another uh, lamb and a goat and you know, uh, having the blood covered that and God writing out another IOU and, and, and all of these things, all of these processes, they're shadows. And when Jesus says, it is finished, You don't have to do that anymore. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, I, I am the way. It's a person. So, verses 18 and 19 tells us that we need to reject their means of salvation. Legalists don't mean this in our vernacular today. But legalists have a way of attaching barnacles to the gospel, of confusing the gospel. They have ways of layering the gospel. Almost coming across as if somehow or another, you gotta get beyond being a sinner in order for Jesus to save you. And so Paul ticks off these things uh, here, in, here in verses 18 through 19. He says, uh, in verse 18 he says, let no one disqualify you. They're not God. They're not God. Crawford Lorenz here on Living a Legacy. And we'll hear more about those who would disqualify you in the second half of this message, which we will hear next week. Legalism. Hope you're getting a better understanding of this. We are learning a lot through the Apostle Paul's teaching in his letter to the Colossians. Now, if you're finding this study helpful, let us know with a quick email to legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu. 
If you missed out on part of today's message, you can stream all of it on our website, livingalegacy.org. Look for the link Past Programs. There's also a link to connect you with our MP3 library, containing many of Crawford's messages, including the previous ones in this series titled His Church. They can be downloaded there for free. Start with livingalegacy.org. Again next week, part two of Crawford's message, Our Freedom, from Colossians 2. Hope you'll be right back here. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.